This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you in your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. Justin, uh, I serve here, and have the privilege to serve here as one of the pastors, pastor of care and discipleship, and also I have the privilege today to close out our series uh, this morning called Things We Say, and I hope it's been an interesting, fun little series, and I know it might have been challenging maybe for some where we're still fighting the tensions and wanting to push back on it because we've heard these slogans, we heard these phrases, we heard all these things, and we're like... Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to let go or not, and I, I get it. There's tension in it, and I have a, another cool one <laughs> that I want to share with you that let's see how it rubs off on you guys. But let me, before we get into that, let, let me pray. Prepare our hearts for God's word and let his Holy Spirit lead us. Let's pray. Father, still our hearts now. May our minds, our bodies, our heart right now just be still before you. As we hear from your word, as we hear from your truth, your Holy Spirit that has always been the, the counselor, the one that has always been leading and guiding us and directing us and convicting us. May your will be done, Lord. May your word be preached. May your gospel be ever true that is held on for history. May continue to point back to your son, Jesus Christ. So guide us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, we wrap up the series called Things We Say. And I have an interesting one. But before I, I even tell you what that is, let me set the stage for you guys as far as where I'm going this morning. Now, if you've seen or if you watched the Super Bowl... The Chiefs won, which, where, where's my 49er fans? Yeah. I see you, Johnny. That's right. Uh, anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for another sermon for another time. But, but besides the, the, the actual game itself, if you notice, there was a bunch of different commercials, a ton of commercials, and they're big. This is the time where we highlight all sorts of commercials and people rave and dump a lot of money into it. Um, specifically, one commercial that stood out, which if you saw, it was like a trailer for the new movie, uh, the, Wiz the Wicked. I'm sorry, yeah. Wicked, it's a spinoff of The Wizard of Oz. Now, I bring up that movie for you, The Wizard of Oz. If you've ever seen it, get a chance to watch it. It's an old classic movie, a good movie, if you get a chance to watch it. If you notice, there's about a couple of characters in there. And all of a sudden, these characters, they're looking for a higher power, if, in a way, which is the wizard, to give them what they need, which is one, the lion looking for courage, the tin man looking for a heart, and the scarecrow looking for some brain, right, just the knowledge. And the girl, Dorothy, if you're familiar, that's the main one, always saying, I want to go back home, right? I want to go back home. 
of course, eventually they realize this wizard that they eventually connect and meet with has no power whatsoever to fix or give everything they needed. And if the creators and the writers of that story, I don't know if, that, this, if this is their intention or not, but ultimately the underlying message underneath it all was basically to tell them, hey, look, everything that you need, you always had it within yourself. You always had it. Whether it's a lion, you, you took the risks that you needed. Whether it's a scarecrow, you had the knowledge and the brain for it needed. And Dorothy, you had the capability of always going back home. You didn't need to go to this wizard to find everything that you needed. You had it within yourself all along. Everything was there. All of it was there. Whether this is the intention or not, I find that this movie is kind of fitting itself because it kind of promotes this self-help movement that has been increasingly shown even in our Christian society itself, in the world itself, especially being post-Christian in our Western society. Even this movie itself actually reflects a lot of our cultural narratives that we see that everything that you need to find out or to solve all your solutions and your problems, guess what? It's in you already. You can figure it out. So that you're self-sufficient for it. You have all that you need. The reality is, when we see even with the Christian community itself, that we even see the seeping into the church itself of the self-help movement in many different ways. It, things that you can embrace this, uh, this, this theology where you are self-reliant on yourself, that you could depend on yourself and completely take out the idea of being dependent upon God. And can you tell you, even that theme that we see in that movie and that theme that we see so clear and throughout our culture around us itself, it goes up against the biblical teachings of Jesus. So this leads me to the slogan of what we're going to challenge. You may have heard it in the church, an old saying. God helps those who help themselves. I'll say it again. God helps those who help themselves. Now you need to start to ask yourself if that's something that you've heard, if that's something that you've believed for so long, um, is it scriptural? Is it sound? Is it biblical? Is it something that Jesus himself would even teach or talk about? Is it anywhere there? Actually, that phrase, God helps those who help themselves, actually comes from a man named Benjamin Franklin, which he himself quoted that. But he actually got it from a Greek fable between Hercules and a, a Wagner, I don't know what that is, but, you know, these two characters in itself, which they basically said the gods help them that help themselves. So if anything, this, this, this phrase, this slogan has been stepped in, even into the church that emphasizes that we are self-reliant on ourself alone, that the bi biblical theology of what it should be, which I'll get to, has no weight whatsoever. Where scripture does not promote self-confidence, it actually encourages confidence in God and not self. If anything, the correct teaching, the correct theology that we need to put behind that phrase is actually change it a little bit and really be able to say this. That God helps those who cannot help themselves. Instead of the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. In reality, what we really, really should be saying and believing in our hearts is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. And I have scripture to back this up. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. 
verse 6 to 8. Let's turn there if you have your Bible or your app, whatever you use. Romans 5, 6 to 8. <clears throat> for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one was going to die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, that I think really backs up more to the slogan that God helps those who cannot help themselves. And I'll tell you why that's important for us because I really want to debunk the, the lie that we may have been heard, hearing so long within the church that says that God will help those who help themselves. Because if you really look at the underlying message behind that, it's saying that I'm self-sufficient. I really don't need God. I'll invite him when I'm ready to do my thing and then I'll have him come into the picture. But the question I want us to ask in light of all that is, how can we rely on God to help us? And in light of that, when we look at this passage, three things I want to take away is this. By one, exchanging self-help for God-help. Two, by uncovering what we genuinely worship. And what I mean by that is that phrase, God helps those who help themselves. I really want you to look at the root idol that's beneath it all. And see what you've been truly worshiping, if that is a phrase and slogan that you've been holding on that is so true. And third is by letting the encounter with God change us. Because God doesn't want to keep us where we're at. He wants to ultimately transform and change us when you encounter the living God. And we get to look at that in light of this passage. So here's the thing. The sad reality is <clears throat> many high-profile religious personalities around today are deceiving even in the church itself, believing that it is our spiritual birthright to be happy, to be rich, to be successful, to be healthy, and to be celebrated. But those of us who know and understand biblical Christianity, we reject these teachings as worldly foolishness dressed up in religious language because following Jesus does not guarantee success in this world. And you need no go further in the life and the ministry of Jesus to verify all of these facts when you look at his life. Think about it. Jesus is the blending of deity and humanity, the meeting place of time and eternity, and the intersection of earth and heaven. Yet the life and the ministry of Jesus will be considered, as the world looks at what Jesus did, they'll be like, no, that's a failure, according to the sinful world. So we have no reason to expect that the world would treat us any better than it did with Jesus Christ. So we need to push out the false theology and the, and the poor sound doctrines that are seeping into our church, such as a lot of the prosperity theology and so forth. We need to be careful to examine and look at it and really ask where does our success and help really come from? Is it in Christ himself? Look at 1 Timothy 6, 7, which says, as for the rich is as for the rich in this present age, charge them not hard, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So I want you to know this. God does delight in blessing godly people. God delights in rewarding righteous people. God delights in promoting faithful people. 
But too often we've been hearing too much of the voices within our own culture as we believe in just in that phrase of that God will help those who help themselves, which I think the underlying message in that is saying that I'm self-sufficient. I don't need to rely on God himself. So this leads to my first point, that we need to exchange self-help for actually for God help, meaning we need to rely and lean on God for all things. Look at verse 6 of that passage in Romans. It says, for while we were still what? Weak. And at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, in verse 6, Paul is saying that Christ died for us, that when we were still weak, Take note of that. When we were still weak, and maybe in other translations it says, without strength. That word itself is translated about, I will say, about 25 times in the New Testament. It describes both the physical and the spiritual condition. Think about it. The Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to use this word in order to convey the weak and helpless state that we were in when the Lord Jesus laid down his life on our behalf. So consider a couple of these things. Consider your weak state. But here's the difficult part. We don't like to admit that we're weak. The culture and everything around us say that you have the strength and everything you need to do what's needed. Look inside yourself. And that's what the self-help promotes. And here's the problem. We see too much of that. And I told you, that comes even into our own culture. But we think that when we go through a difficult situation, the first thing that we try to do, we try to fix the problem. Let's be honest. We do. Where do we run first to? So here's what I want to consider. How can we exchange self-help for God to come and help? Like I said, it's so hard for us to even admit, that's the first step, that we are weak. That we need help. And so often we ignore our humanity in that, that we are people who need help. And too often we think that we are like God. How? God in his omniscience. What do I mean by that? I mean by this, that we try to think that we are all-knowing. How many of you have ever wished that before you made a decision, you knew exactly how it was going to turn out? Have you ever wished that you could know all the possible variables before even making a decision? For example, will I get that job? Should I pursue this relationship? How will it end? Will I get this gig? Should I take this job or hate it or leave it? Or should I leave New York? Should I stay here? Should I get this apartment? Should I go to this house? Should I stay with this roommate or not? How long should I live even here? The fact that God knows things that he doesn't disclose to us can be what? Maddening. Right? Let's be honest. But look also how we think that we have the strength inside. We try to be like God and it's omnipotent, meaning that we try to be all-powerful. I'm not talking about when we try to be all-powerful where we're trying to lift 400 pounds or we're trying to lift a car or do things outside. No, none of that. That's not the way that we wish that we're all-powerful. It's much, actually much more diabolical than that. We try to be all-powerful in being able to bend people and circumstances to our will. Let's be honest. How often have you felt anxiety because you realized you were powerless to change your circumstances no matter how hard you've tried? How often have you felt anxiety because you realized that you were powerless to change certain people in your life? Think about someone you wish that you could change to be the way that you want. Try not to make eye contact with them here. 
When people, do, when people don't do what you want or when life doesn't turn out the way that you want, let's be honest, it, it drives us crazy. Now, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> there is some truth to the self-help stuff, at least one true ingredient. That self-help acknowledges our personal agency. That self-help assumes that you can indeed do something to help yourself. It too rejects the deceit that we drift helplessly downstream from our past or even our current circumstances. We are not just leaves that are just floating down from some tree. No, the, the me of yesterday doesn't have to be the me of tomorrow. We could learn discipline. We can take control of various aspects of our lives. Maybe escape the addictions and overcome the different fears. At least self-help affirms what God has always has. That we can, even now, reap a different harvest by sowing a different crop. It properly highlights that the, the truth that we can and must that own some measure of responsibility even for within our own lives. We each can choose, as Luther has once said, many things under heaven and each decision, whatever it is that we make, will and have some sorts of consequences to it. So here's the thing. There's ways for us to even discern the condition, really, of our heart. Have we been living according to that phrase, that slogan, God helps those who help themselves? Be able to ask our heart, do I rely on God or am I looking inside of myself to find the strength? Whether relying on self-help or seeking God's help, acknowledging our weakness means recognizing that we can't handle everything on our own. And instead, we need to turn to the one who can. Look at Proverbs in, in the Old Testament. <clears throat> it warns against trusting in ourselves rather than seeking God's wisdom. Proverbs 28, 26 says, those who trust in themselves are fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. So consider this question as you hear that. What kind of help do we receive when we look inward for solutions? Do we seek solutions within ourselves? Because if we do that often, it provides only a temporal fix to what are essentially eternal problems. For example, addiction can lead to many sinful actions because it can harm our families or damages of our health. Ultimately, all, all wrongdoing against God. Right, the verse says in 51, Psalms 51, 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. While addressing the symptoms of our sin through self-reliance, such as, as quitting, drinking, or overeating, or avoiding adultery, many others, some reliefs. It doesn't address really the root cause of that sin, which is actually towards God. Instead, church, what we need is His grace. Because His grace empowers Christians to reject sinful behaviors like theft, and anger, and pornography, and pride, and laziness. And, and, and instead, embrace what Scripture teaches so much about, being self-controlled. Righteous and godly lifestyle. Because the transformation leads us closer to God and prepares us for eternal life rather than condemnation. You might say then, if we can't trust ourselves, then what hope do we have? The Bible has answers to that. When we look in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah declares that God helps those who are utterly helpless. You see how that is different even from the saying that we've been saying, the slogan, how untrue it is that God helps those who help themselves. Look at Isaiah 25, 
uh, 4, it says that you have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the, the heat, <clears throat> for the breath, the rootless. It's like a storm driving against the wall. Another way that you could ask yourself to diagnose you in your heart as far as where it is. Who receives the glory? When we trust in ourselves and achieve success, we often attribute the glory to our own abilities. Where we say that I'm smarter, I'm more disciplined, I'm better. The self-made mentality leads us into this trap of what we will see soon, pride creeping in. Where we look down on others and those who aren't as successful as us. And we fail to acknowledge ultimately that God's role in our achievement. We take God out of it as Christians, aware that all good actually comes from God. That we declare not to me, O God, not to me, but to your name we give you the glory. Christ is our source of pride. And he is our constant focus. And our desire should be upon him and him alone. See, when we exchange self-help for admitting our weakness and relying on God, we are recognizing that God provides tangible help for the helpless and for the needy. But you need to admit that first. The Bible teaches that everyone is actually considered helpless. Romans 3, 10, 12 speaks of that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is no one that is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have, turned, they have together become worthless. There is no one who is good, not even one. Church, there's still hope. Here's the thing. Self-help gives me my own small fleeting point of glory in itself but when we turn to God as the source of our help he offers us deep everlasting joy secure in his unfading glory whereas self-help offers a temporal good at best where God help gives us eternal good with temple thrown on if self-help relies on my discipline my resolve my efforts whereas God help if we lean on God himself it builds upon a child's cry to his father leaning on one's eternal family and trusting God's unfailing promises. God helps sustains me with my daily bread which comes from heaven. Self-help tells the opposite that I got to go and search for that food. God help ends in salvation, in glory, and the conquering of the world, of the flesh, and of the devil. Whereas self-help addresses the cough and the sneezes of this life that leaves me at the end of it without hope, without forgiveness, and without God in the world. There's a reason why the scriptures keep teaching and telling us to be in this helpless state because we need somebody to rescue us of knowing of our condition. There is humility in this church when we are weak and acknowledge that he is strong. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. Jesus did not love you and save you because you were healthy and strong and looked like a good prospect for his kingdom. No. The opposite. You were struck. You were stuck. You were sick in that bed, paralyzed by sin. And he came and saved you in spite of all of your weaknesses. So church, we need to be daily reminded of this. So church, we need to daily be reminded in our saying. Is it really God helps 
that we really need to say that God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's what we really need to say. That's what we need to hold to. We cannot help ourselves. There's no way inside of us. We need something outside of ourselves to come. So God had to come. He initiated. God saves us. And what? In spite of even our own wickedness, which we'll see, the ungodliness inside of us. And to uncover really that, that slogan, that phrase that we've been talking about, that we're trying to debunk, that maybe you've heard so long, God helps those who help themselves. I want you now to look at the root idol beneath that of actually what you've been truly worshiping when you have actually always believed that. Let me uncover that for you. Look at verse 6 again. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, Paul says, for when we were yet without strength or in weakness, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So according to this verse, it's saying that Jesus came to save us, that we were not only without strength, but we were also ungodly, that you may live for and love the Lord Jesus now. That has always, that's the thing, that has not always really been our condition. In fact, Jesus came to save you. There wasn't anything godly about you at all. You were ungodly. That's why Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, once said, a well-known preacher many years ago, he said, I am not going to tell you that Christ died for saints. He died for sinners. Not for the godly, but for the ungodly. Think with me about your ungodly condition even prior to salvation. How honest can you be of your brokenness? You're jacked up. Everything inside of you has fallen short of God's glory. Everything. But can you confess that and really honestly say, or, or does our heart want to justify here and there? That I'm, well, I did so and so. I follow these rules and commands. I should be still be good, right? Now I have to be honest. I have to confess this. There are many times where I heard well-known and good preachers give awesome sermons. And I'm like, yo, they killed it. That is awesome. And in my head, I'm not saying it out loud, but in my head, I'm like, I wish so-and-so were here. I wish this person was here. I wish they could hear. I wish my kids were here to listen to that. My aunt, my uncle, or my friend, or my colleague, or whoever it is, I wish they could hear that. I want them to hear that. They really needed that. But the reality is, as much as I wanted them to hear, here I have this, this self-righteous attitude and heart and thinking. I really didn't diagnose that sermon even within my own heart first and how much I deeply I needed it. Thinking that I was almost as better than anyone else, not acknowledging, wait, I am just as broken and jacked up and I need that message better than anyone else, anything else. And I feel embarrassed and ashamed even just as I think and process through that itself and to know that. So why do we seek solace in pointing out others who seem to be worse sinners than ourselves? And I think there's only one conclusion even to that, even why we have an attitude or art like that. Because we stubbornly cling to the notion that we're more righteous than the Bible portrays us to be. And how does the Bible portray us to be? Genesis 5 speaks on that. And this is, it's a difficult thing to accept. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of 
his heart was only evil continuously. I wish this verse was describing some historical superclass of sinners. But sadly, it's a mirror, right? It's a mirror into which every human being is meant to look to and see themselves in. It's capturing, if anything, this powerful word that theologians have called total depravity. Now, total depravity doesn't mean that as sinners we are as bad as we could possibly be. What it actually means is that sin reaches every aspect of our personhood. It damages of us is total. That means physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, motivationally, socially. We have been damaged by sin. It rages or are inescapable. No one has dodged sin itself. Not even partial. Every aspect has been hit upon us. All totally depraved. I don't know about you, but sometimes I want to believe that I was deprived and not depraved. Or that I was only just a little bit here and there. There's still something inside of me that's really good. But that's why I make... Why we try to justify to the things where we're like, oh, I want to self-atone myself or fix myself and be like, justify myself to that I'm still somewhat okay, but before a holy God, man, how broken am I really inside? So that phrase that God helps those who help themselves, it actually reveals a deeper truth about our sinful nature and what we truly desire and worship when we're actually thinking about that slogan. I think it essentially declares that, we are, that we're saying that we are self-sufficient. It devoids of humility by filling itself ultimately with what? Pride. Consider this. Think about this. Denying your accomplishments under the likeness of humility is not genuine humility. It's a form of dishonesty. True humility involves acknowledging your achievements while recognizing that you didn't accomplish them alone. It's understanding that your success is rooted in God's help. Pride, on the other hand, stems from self-sufficiency and distorts how you perceive yourself. It leads to arrogance where you view yourself as superior, if anything, to others. The self-deception blinds you to your true nature because it tells that it makes you believe that you're something that you're not when pride comes. It convinces that you are greater than you are. It fosters a mindset where you think that you're better than others. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 reminds us to boast not on our own wisdom, our might, our riches, but in our understanding and the knowledge of God who practices what? Steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. And it's convicted me over and over again because I remember my early years in ministry and even during those years of church planting, how I lacked humility, how pride crept in, and how self-righteous I was and looking down on others. But all I felt was the emptiness inside of me where I condemned others. Instead, I lacked the genuine love that ultimately that God displayed for me. See, in essence, it says to know this church, that gospel humility comes from recognizing our dependency on God and boasting on His grace rather than our own abilities and our own achievements. There's good news. There's good news to the pride that lurks in each and every one of our hearts here, that Christ died for the ungodly. You see, the remedy for pride, it's praise. 
If you want to make sure that pride does cause you to be unfaithful to the Lord and bring you down, learn to give God the praise in everything. Psalms 104 to 5 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and in his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all in the glory of God. And 1 Thessalonians 5.18 even says, Give thanks in all the circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, in order to make your heart and your mind does not forget what the Lord has done for you. Make sure you give him the thanks and the praise for all that he has done in Jesus' name. Others' pride will still step in and think, I did it. I'm the one. And then I'll invite God in. As C.S. Lewis once said, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Church, if we keep using phrases such as God helps those who help themselves, all that does is that we're resting and doing it, everything on our own merit and our own righteousness and our own ways, and then I'll invite God in. Can we remind ourselves of the gospel? The gospel reminds us there's no need to line up all the good things we've done as a counterbalance for all of our wrongs and how broken and jacked up we really are because Romans 5, 1 to 2 say, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, each one of us, we need his grace that forgives us of our sins, that frees us from all of our own self-righteousness. That all the sins that held captive in each and every one of us, even in the delusion of our own righteousness, we think that's good enough. We must humbly confess as what Psalms 51, 5 and 2 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. And if you do that, and when you acknowledge that, and when you confess that, that means you're saying that I'm resting now in the righteousness of Christ and not on my own. Now, God helps those who help themselves. If your heart is being changed and it's transformed, that means you're realizing and seeing the true Jesus of the Bible. Because when you encounter his grace, when you encounter his presence, when you encounter his power, when you encounter his love and forgiveness, it will change you. It will change you. So when you encounter him, what he's saying that this slogan or phrase that you've been hearing that really is not biblical at, at all, I want to remind you who I am. So God's going to come and he's going to make me know because he's the one who initiates the change. Look at verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ is the one who died for us. Jesus died for us. And all of us, we could acknowledge and believe that and religiously even believe that, that so God loved us so much. He gave up so much for us. 
And throughout this series, maybe, the things that we say, you might have been fighting and pushing back on the slogans and phrases and be like, I've heard this in the church my whole life. I've held on to this truth. But then you really need to ask and diagnose even your own heart. Where has that really led you? Has it really pointed you to the real Jesus or some other Jesus that our culture has kind of created and has stepped into the church? And this goes back to another Super Bowl ad that I saw last week, which maybe you have seen also in this ad featuring, um, I think it was a Christian ad, I'm not even sure, but it featured individuals washing the feats of people typically they, they look down upon on society, right? I don't know where you stand with this ad, but I had a little problem with it. Even as the, the message was even pushing and moving forward, it implied that not affirming the lifestyles or the orientation or the identity of others were saying that, oh, it's some kind of level of hate. And we're ultimately what they were trying to push and say that, hey, look, Jesus doesn't hate. We love all of you. Which absolutely is true. He does love everyone. He wants everybody to come to know of who he is. Come to know who he is and love of who he is and be accepted. Yes, absolutely. But look how our culture has, didn't complete that message. Too often the ad Jesus says, I do not condemn you. And that's all I have to say. Instead, what the real Jesus says, I do not condemn you. Now go and sin no more. That's the part they left out. Yes, Christ wants to come. In your weakness, in your brokenness, whatever state that you're thinking of, even if you feel like I'm the most righteous and greatest person in the world, Christ will come and embrace and love you, wash your feet, but he will all go on to say, look, I'm going to change you. Now go and sin no more because you encounter a holy, perfect God. And, and he had intention in the ways that he's created and designed us. But the sad part is our culture likes too much of the ad Jesus and not the real Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus never said God helps those who help themselves. It's time that we stop with this unbiblical phrase like this and read Jesus ourselves back to the founder's image. Look back to him and let the church rethink and re-understand by going back to the scripture. Go back to sound doctrine. Go back to sound theology. Understanding the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and looking back to him. But if we continue to hold on to false phrases that say that God helps those who help themselves, it only leads to poor assumptions. That saying that my actions determine my access. And if you believe that's true, that's a false idea. Because God helps them who help themselves leads to the false narrative that our actions determine our access to God. That's nothing but that could be so far from the truth itself. Because God himself is the one who revealed himself. God is the one who initiated. God is the one who came down when we were broken and sinful in our nature. God is the one who came and called you and I and still calls us in our beliefs. So that we could walk in the belief in the gospel day in and day out. It was God who called Abraham to be the father of the people who partnered with God to to undo the evil that we see. God is the one who sent forth his son, Jesus. God is the one who initiated. God doesn't wait around hoping that we will take the first move to help ourselves. God is already acting in the world to do to our own good end. 
Everything that is good starts and ends in God. Our cooperation flows from our access and experience of God, not to earn just access to God. Every other religion speaks of that. Every other religion says that you start here, you got to do all the good to earn your favor from God. God says, no, I'm up here. He comes down to us in our mess and our brokenness. That's why other religions such as uh, in, 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 the, in the religious book, the, the Quran itself and in, in, in Islam, it, it teaches the complete opposite of it and holds to this truth that God will help you if you help yourself. Because ultimately in, in that Quran itself is basically saying this principle that you have to do and take care of yourself. You change yourself and then Allah will come and help you. No, that's horrible. God helps those who help themselves. It's actually a language of privilege. God doesn't show. God is not into impartiality. God loves, he holds, he goes near to each and every. He wants all of us to know who he is. But the thing is, you have to acknowledge that you are weak, you're ungodly, you're broken, and he's the one only and he alone could initiate and rescue you in your mess. God helps those who help themselves, even was sort of mentioned in scripture because if you look at Mark 10 17 to 22 Jesus speaks of this there's this encounter that he had with the rich man the rich man basically asked him what would he need to inherit this life of the kingdom that Jesus constantly came and proclaimed and talked about where the conversation first turned to the Ten Commandments he said sure Jesus I never stole anything I never killed a person I've always told the truth I obeyed my parents I did everything so you see that I did everything, God, right? Of course, Jesus is glad to hear that this wealthy man, this young man, lived out the Torah and his commandments well. But even according to the commandments first, we see that this person had the wrong narrative. For him, it seems that his actions, what he had accomplished, to lead to a greater access in inheritance into God's kingdom. He thought, let me do what's right first, and then God will let me in. So what does it do? It rested on him and him alone and not on Christ. See, Jesus tells him to sell all your stuff because it's getting in the way of truly seeing how wide and the access point really is to Christ. And then follow me. But see, the reality, he couldn't give it all up. He was too blinded. See, the cross is big. The cross speaks to each and every one of us. The cross wants us to follow after so church, as I come to a close, and as we conclude even with this series, reflect on verse 8, which emphasizes that, that the glory belongs to God alone, not to you, not to me, not to this church, no one else, it is to God alone. He sacrificed himself for sinners like us. And it's a crucial for us to grasp the depth of our sin, not just the obvious transgression in order to fully appreciate, if anything, truly his grace and his love. Because when we are confronted with unbiblical phrases and slogans such as, God helps those who help themselves, let it lead you to more, if anything, an accurate view by inviting the God that has always initiated his love towards you. And understand that God helps those who cannot help themselves. And in this shift in perspective, acknowledges our weakness and his strength. Acknowledges our weakness and his strength. That we are no longer enslaved to the sin or the illusion of our own righteousness. Instead, we find our rest in the righteousness of one alone. His name is Jesus.
Remember that Jesus died for our pride. Jesus is the one who demonstrated his love for us even in our sinful nature. Let us embrace gospel humility, recognizing that our success is eternally dependent on God and God alone and for his help that we find strength in him. And when you do that, when you lean on that, when you lean on his promises, we can declare that if you seek the Lord, he will help you. If you call on the Lord, he will help you. If you trust in the Lord, he will help you. If you obey the Lord, he will help you. And if you submit to the Lord, he will help you. Because there's only one you can lean on. May we continue to rely on his strength and his guidance alone and nothing else. Let's pray, church. Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.